Pastor the the in the in the name of Jesus. So that's why that's why that is the time to stand up. I don't want you to stand up too long. Our hearts to you this morning. We surrender our hearts. We surrender our minds. Lord, we prepare ourselves to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This morning we're going to talk about overcoming unbelief. In Matthew chapter 17, the disciples were unable to heal someone. Jesus said this kind only goes with, with prayer and fasting. But then he says to them, he says, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. The faith of a mustard seed. Mustard seed. It is small. It's the smallest seed, I think, in the world. It is small. How much faith does that mean? You know, I'm looking at, at God and I'm saying, look, I, Lord, I got this fluid that's putting pressure on my lungs. It's making it hard to breathe. I said, but heal me. I mean, I must have faith bigger than a mustard seed. Is my unbelief that short that I can't do it? Because in John, Jesus turns and he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him. So it seems to be if you have a belief in Jesus, you're saved. But that doesn't necessarily mean you have faith in Jesus. In order to have faith, you have to believe. But in order to believe, you don't have to have faith. In Mark, talking about the same thing, Jesus answered and said, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and it will be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you can receive them and you will have them. Again, getting back to believing and faith. Whatever, whatever you say to the mountain, move and it'll move. And how many of us have different mountains that we face in our lives? We're saying mountains move. Mountains move. And they don't move. 
You know, we just keep trying. We keep praying. Eventually, our faith gets the mountain moved. It says, for the gospel in Romans 1.17. This is out of the Amplified Bible. I will read this to you. For the gospel of the righteousness of God is revealed, both springing from faith and leading to faith, disclosed in a way that it awakens more faith, as it is written and forever remains written, the just and the upright shall live by faith. So it seems if you have faith, and you trust in your faith, and you keep getting, then you keep getting more faith, and more faith, and you begin to move, and you can see that the more faith you have, the more the mountains move. Excuse me a minute. There we go. And one life just <laughs> So do you want to move the mountains that are in your path? It takes faith in Jesus. It takes developing faith. I mean, how much faith do you think it took David to stand before Goliath? I mean, here's somebody that is probably less than six feet. They say he was small and he was fair. So he was fair complected, which means he was light skinned. He was about five foot six, five foot seven, maybe. And he's up against a 13 foot giant. The giant's got on full armor, swords, helmets. The whole bit. Saul offers Jesus, or David, he said, you can take my armor. David couldn't even hold it. It was too heavy. So he grabs some rocks and his sling. And he had to know that the Lord was with him. God had to be with him yes, Lord. in order to do that. But what made David know that? Did the Lord speak to him? Was it just the fact that David had developed this faith that he knew God would be there with him when he needed him? I believe that's it. I believe that David knew if I call upon the name of the Lord, he will be there for me. Amen. And whatever I ask shall come to pass. Amen. So David absolutely believed and had faith greater than that of a mustard seed. I mean, we talk about wanting revival in the church. What kind of faith is it going to take for us to get there? I mean, we're all going to have to be like those people that were in the upper room. We're all going to have to be in one accord. And we're all going to have to be believing in the power of Jesus Christ in order to get it accomplished. 
Faith becomes our firm foundation. We gotta fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith. It says, for who the joy before him endured a cross, scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of God. So without a firm foundation, there's not going to be any healing. Without a firm foundation, there'll be no deliverance. Without a firm foundation, there'll be no revival. We must focus on the creator and not the creation. Hebrews 1, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We all know that. We've heard it a hundred times. Do we believe it? Because we've heard it. Verse 2 says, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. People that have been around Christianity for a while have been serving in the churches. It's through your faith that your testimony gets better and better and greater and greater because you see the things that God has done in your life and it just adds to your testimony. That's what he's saying. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. It was the word of God that spoke this earth into existence. Do we believe that? Do you believe that? You guys sound a little leery there. Yes, we do. Oh, maybe I'm not sure there. We could have we could have come out of a black hole. We could have been just an, an asteroid. We used to be related to a fish. The central theme of that passage is faith, it's confidence, it's trust, trusting in the word of God. We have to, if you do not believe that the word of God is total truth, absolute truth, the inerrant word of God, we have a problem. We have a problem. Because there's people that believe this part of the Bible could be right. That part of the Bible's no good. Uh, this is a good thing, that's a bad thing. They believe all these different things. And they're teaching those. They're teaching those in churches today. That the scriptures say one thing, but they interpret it in such a way that they reverse what it really means. It says in Hebrews 11, Verse 6, that it's impossible to please God without faith. Amen. Impossible. There's nothing you can do that will please God if you don't have faith in God. Amen. Not a thing. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists 
and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Amen. Sincerely Amen. is a lighter word in English than what was used in Hebrew or in Greek when that was written. But it's really a just an opening of your heart into everything that you exist for, you believe in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Living our lives in a manner that is consistent with our confident belief in God's promise. Are we confident enough to believe in the promises of God? We'll see. As we get through this message, we'll see. I mean, faith is an avenue. It's an instrument of God that uses to bring us salvation. The first thing we get is salvation. But when we're given salvation from God, we're also given faith. Because it takes faith for God to give us salvation. So God gives us faith. God gives us faith because of his grace, because of his mercy, because he loves us. Amen. Ephesians 4, 5 says, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Faith comes from God as a form of a gift. Faith is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8, for grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. A gift is not earned for some good deed you did. or some kind of word. It's not given because the giver expects the gift to come back in return. Any of those conditions, the gift would not be a gift. Ephesians 2.9, which goes after 2.8, which you just heard. It's not by works that we're saved. So no one can boast. You can't go around and say, oh, I did these wonderful things and now I'm going to heaven. How great of things would you have to do? Would you have to take off your raincoat and lay it on the ground so a woman could walk through a puddle without getting her feet wet? Okay. I mean, you see those in the old movies. Today's society probably knocked the woman down and you just walk over her. But there's nothing good enough that you could do to get salvation. It has to be a gift of God. Psalm 119 verse 30 says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness I have set my heart on your laws. God tells us that he's going to put a heart in there. 
a heart inside us, a heart of flesh. He's going to put our commandments in there. And we're going to have no problem believing it. We're going to have no problem living with it. You have to understand, your faith has power. Your faith has authority. It's through your faith that you receive the promises of God. And your faith is different than our faith. Because we're all on different levels with God. Nobody's exactly the same. But we all start out the same. When we believe in Jesus and we accept him as our Lord and Savior and he gives us the gift of salvation and faith. Where we go from there depends on the individuals. Which is why sometimes you watch people and you're in a church for 20 years. This person that seems sitting next to you never seems to grow in faith. Yet someone that's been there two years, the next thing you know, they're ministering places. Because why? They wanted more. They chased after the faith of God. 2 Corinthians 1.20 It says, For all the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen. So be it. Amen means so be it. To the glory of God through us. So for all the promises in God of God are in him, and he says yes, and in him, Amen. So be it. All the promises are there. Second Peter, verse 1, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. He's saying to all of you out there that have gotten the same faith that we, the apostles, who traveled with Jesus have. This is what he's talking about. This is who he's talking to. Grace and peace be multiplied by you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. May everything that God has be multiplied in you. You guys that are on the same level as I am. That's what Peter is saying. As his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Peter's going on to explain all the things that you're getting. He says, by which have been given to us great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is the world through lust. If you have obtained the same faith as Peter and as the other apostles and he says that's possible he said, you have left the world. You're no longer involved in the corruption of the world. 
but you can receive the promises of God. Now I looked it up. There are 8,810 promises of God in Scripture. Now another guy reported that there were 8,865 promises of God that you can obtain if you have the faith. Most Christians don't even know these promises exist. But every one of those 8,810 promises are available to you. I never realized there were that many promises of God. I mean, I knew there were promises of God from that old song. Standing on the promises of God. Amen. You know, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God. Amen. But God is looking for someone who will stand on the promises of his word. Amen. And he will bring them to pass. He's looking for people to stand on his promises. And he will bring them to pass. So a firm foundation of faith gives you access to 8,810 promises of God. You know, 8,810 promises. And every one of them was positive. Every one of them was encouraging. Every one of them was good. You've got to realize that no weapon formed against you Amen. will prosper. Amen. Not when you're standing with that kind of faith in God. You know, there's many churches today, pastors are teaching that uh, the healings, the signs, the wonders, all these things disappeared when the last apostle died. That's not true. Scripture says they're here today. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. That includes today. So nothing's changed. This is what my Bible says anyway. Maybe you left out that verse in yours. I don't know. But mine says it. Amen. Glory to God. So as you read the word of God, search for the promise that you fulfill your need because it's written. It's written in Psalms 34. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Delight in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of the heart. Amen. You want to move that mountain? You want to move those mountains that you face? I know you all face mountains all the time. You get up one morning, go out, start the car, it doesn't start. There's a mountain. I mean, they're just 
They're always there. You gotta move them. It's God-like faith. You have to have the same faith that God has. Peter says it's available to you. Scripture tells us it's available. All we have to do is have it. We need God-like faith, positive faith. There's power in our faith. There's positive power in the faith of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is going to be one of the greatest preachers there ever was. He went around and got messages. People, people got saved all the time. He wrote a lot of the New, New Testament. But Paul also received direct revelation from Christ. On the road to Damascus, he had a direct revelation right there from Christ. But some of you have gotten revelations from Christ laying in your bedroom at night, driving down the road, just doing something, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just comes on you and pours something out. What does he pour out? He'll pour out a word, he'll pour out something. Jesus always speaks the truth. He never says anything bad. In John 12, it says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me commanded me on what to say and how to say it. And I know his commandments lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Whatever the Father tells me to say, I say. In John chapter 9, there's a story of a blind man. He said he went along, Jesus is walking walking along, and he sees a blind man who was blind from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man's parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Because night is coming, and no one can work. And Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, Jesus spits on the ground. Makes some mud with his saliva. Puts it on the man's eyes. Amen. Picture yourself doing this to someone. 
<laughs> and he tells them, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. He was obedient. If he didn't wash in that certain pool, he wouldn't be able to see. He did exactly what Jesus told him to do. How many of us have had the Holy Spirit tell us to do something? And we argue with him. No, no, I don't want to do it today. Let me do it tomorrow. Now call this person. No, I don't. I'll call them next week. Or let me just text them. Holy Spirit says, no, call them. Do this. Go pray for that person. Go do this. And we're not obedient. So are we still blind? Because the only way we see is being obedient to God. That's our sight. That's how we see. Obedience in the word is the power and allows our faith to come alive. And we can move that mountain. While Jesus is traveling, a Gentile woman comes up to him. And she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply. Not even a word. Then his disciples came up and urged him, send her away. Tell her to go away. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus says to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came, she worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. And Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. He's saying, he's saying it's not right to take food from the Israelites, the people in here, to throw it to you Gentile dogs. It's basically what he's calling. And she replies, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. He says, dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Because of her faith. Her trust, nothing was going to stop her from getting to Jesus. She knew who he was. The time hadn't come when he Shared the gospel with the Gentiles yet. Mm-hmm. And finally did. 
And I'm glad of that, amen. Amen. In Acts chapter 8, you have Philip. <coughs> he went to the city of Samaria. He told the people there about the Messiah. So the word's starting to get out now. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs and wonders that he did. Here's Philip. Same faith as Peter. Same faith Peter says you have. Doing signs and wonders in Samaria. He said many evil spirits were cast out. Screaming as they left their victims. And isn't that just the way? When somebody evil somebody trying to scam you, manipulate you, do something, you cast them out. They never go away peacefully. I mean, you've been on the phone with telemarketers. They never like to go away peacefully. They go away screaming and yelling. Same thing. you got an idea. And many who have been paralyzed or lame, or healed. So there was great joy in that city. I can imagine that. Imagine, you know, you have all this. If you have this faith, you can heal your brothers and sisters. Going further down the book of Acts, it says, now the people believe Philip's message. And the good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. Why? Because they believed. Put your faith to work. Amen. Put your faith to work. Revival will break out if you put your faith to work. Amen. James says for for the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead also. Amen. If you're not going to put your faith to work, there's no sense having faith. It's dead. Everything is based on faith. Let me tell you this. If you haven't never noticed this, faith is a noun. It is something. Mm -hmm. Nouns are things. Believe is a verb. It is action. Mm -hmm. Faith is something. Believe is an action. Mm -hmm. So you receive God's faith at the time of your salvation. You receive salvation. Why? Because you believed. But then you learn as you go through, it's impossible to please God without faith. Amen. Well, I believed in him, he saved me. But now I gotta have faith in him to please him. For it is grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not in yourself, it's a gift of God. You receive faith. 
at the time of your salvation. I mean, sometime, somewhere along the, your path of life, someone took the time to share the good news of the gospel with you and lead you to Jesus Christ. You received the gift of salvation. Do you remember how joyous that was? You know how eager you were? Don't get complacent in where you are now. Let that fire continue to burn. The fire must always burn. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. You can't see your faith. You can see the works of your faith. You can see what your faith can do. Can it move the mountain? If you don't have that kind of faith, you need to get it. I mean, look at it. It's the evidence of things not seen. None of you in this room have seen God. None of you have come face to face with the devil. None of you have ever been to heaven. None of you have ever been to hell. None of you watch Jesus die on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Yet you believe in all of those. So develop your faith on your beliefs. Galatians 5.22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. God instilled upon you faith. Like I said, it is still with you. It is still there today. Walk in it. Walk in your faith. Work, walk in the world. One of the two you got to be walking. Yeah. Either your faith in God or you're walking in the world. There's no today I walk in the world, tomorrow I walk in faith. Although a lot of people walk in faith on Sunday morning and so by Sunday afternoon they're back walking in the world. Because they go to shallow places. You always have faith. It's just a matter of whether you're going to operate in the faith God has given you. That's your decision. Whether you're going to operate in the faith God has given you. I've always had faith in God. I've always believed that God can do anything. Amen. I just wasn't sure that I have enough faith for God to do it for me. I always believed he can do it for someone else. Could he do it for me? And maybe some of you have that same apprehension. That I'm watching so-and-so get here, but I'm not. I'm watching so-and-so get this, but I'm not. Maybe we're not asking right. Maybe we haven't developed enough faith. 
Remember the father who brought the demon-possessed boy to Jesus, and Jesus rebuked the demon. Then the disciples asked, why? Why couldn't we get rid of him? And Jesus told them, but you're unbelief. I think that's the same problem we have today. It's our unbelief. We get into a situation and we're not sure. We question. We doubt. Like doubting Thomas. Rather than we walk in the authority and the power and the faith that God has given us and just keep marching through like we are soldiers of the Lord. We stop. We think. And we doubt and it's our unbelief that we have to learn to overcome. It's our unbelief that holds us back from moving that mountain. It's not that we don't have enough faith. It's the unbelief that we have. Mark 9, 24 says, Immediately the father of the child cried out with tears. He said, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Help me with my unbelief. We need less unbelief today. And I know each one of you can think of times and situations where you've got in where you were trusting God, but all of a sudden something came in and you doubted for that moment, for that split second, and unbelief came in, and it killed the whole thing. Help us, Lord, with our unbelief. You can stand, please. Galatians 5, 6 says, when we are in Christ Jesus, it is important if we are, it's not important whether we are circumcised or not. The important thing is faith. The kind of faith that works through love. Our love of Christ, the love Christ has for us, develops our faith. This morning, if you want to come down to the altar and pray, if you have a need, First of all, if you have any need at all, come down and we'll have people pray with you this morning. If there's anything you need from Christ this morning, do not leave here without that need satisfied. Because that's what we're here for. That's why Jesus Christ is here today. He's here to instill upon you. You have enough faith. He's stubborn with unbelief. When we experience times of doubt, we must immerse ourselves in the truth of his word. When we doubt, just look at his word. Overcome it. We can bolster sagging faith by just reading some scriptures, remembering the miraculous thing God has done for each and every one of us. 
that the greatest power to overcome doubt comes from the Holy Spirit himself who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are all children of God. One more time. If you need prayer this morning for any reason, the altars are open.